Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Reza- now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I- Allison, where did you, you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am very, very, very excited about today's guest, and I don't want to keep her waiting long. Not my usual yammering on and on and on while I pretend the guests in traffic, even though really they're there. So just quickly, I just quickly want to check in with producer Tony Thaxton, the bad boy of podcasting, to find out how he's doing. Tony, hello. You just got back from uh, a night away from playing a show. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Feeling a little worn out, but in a good way. Yeah, we just went out of town to Palm Springs for a night and then came back and uh, played a show last night. And that was super fun. Nice. I saw that some uh, listeners were at the show. Yeah, some listeners were there, came and said hello. Uh, our friend Renee Culvert was there. So I got to see her for a little bit. Yeah, it was a, it was a really fun night. And you played drums in two bands back to back. And you had yes. been hiking in advance of that to try to like build, well, in advance of your tour that you're doing, but how was yeah. your stamina? Uh, it was fine for this show. It's, it's more the Motion City stuff that I'm concerned about because that's a lot more high energy, just go, 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 go. Whereas right. this, this, uh, the don't stop stuff is, is, has some energy there, but it's, you know, very silly and still a little more laid back and, uh, the Townland set that I played, uh, it literally, and I don't mean this as an insult, it's just a fact, uh, their stuff is very mellow, and I literally did not even sweat when I was playing with them, which is, like, I, it might be the first show I've ever played where I didn't have a drop of sweat. Yes, so Don't Stop went live on Instagram and streamed a little bit of the Townland set, and I had never mm. heard them, and I listened, and I was like, oh, this is what Matt Gorley would play. Yeah, it's like, totally. I could just, l- I could sit back and relax in a mid-century modern living room listening to that music. <laughs> yeah, um, they're very good. And then also, Don't Stop, I saw a little bit of that. And I saw you were not wearing a mask, but were the guys wearing, were they singing and performing in masks? Yeah, Paul and Mike kept their masks on. Townland did not, the Townland took them off. I don't know, I was like, I'm not keep, I, you know, I keep my mask on always. But uh, playing a show, playing drums, that's, Be hard. Know, yeah. I feel like, yeah. So, Tony, I took the kids to the zoo yesterday, and I don't okay. know if you know this about the L.A. Zoo, and I'm not exaggerating. It is um, roughly 45 degrees hotter there than anywhere else in L.A., <laughs> and it was like a pretty temperate day yesterday, but for some reason, it is just brutal at the zoo, and it's mostly uphill, and there's no shade, and I realized, this is a theory I've been working on, on a, it's, it came up on Childish on a few different podcasts, I've realized in my old age, I am like the lap dog of humans. I'm just meant. I'm just meant to sit. That's what I do best. <laughs> and I can watch stuff. I can mess around on my phone. Some light playing with my kids. But like, 
I don't brave the elements well. I don't like being exhausted. Um, so yeah, I did not have the best time at the zoo, although the kids did have a good time, but you might not know this. I didn't know this. We got to the meerkat exhibit and, uh, there was a rope around it and a sign saying to keep your distance because meerkats are high risk for COVID. No, yeah, no, I can't say that I knew that. And the way meerkats stand up and at all times are like, oh no, what's going on over there? What's going on over there? Just, I figured they're on guard just like we are. (laughs) <laughs> right. Interesting. I didn't know any animals could uh, be at that. Yeah, I did. I I think maybe I had read that there was concern earlier in the pandemic about that. But then I um, did a little Google and a lot of animals are at risk. And there's even an animal vaccine hmm. that's uh, it doesn't have mRNA, but it has the antigen. And then I read the word spike protein. And then I was like, OK, I'm done reading this. <laughs> right. it, it just went it just i was like this is going to require more concentration than i have right now in the middle of doing two things i will yes. go back and read it though but anyway speaking of things that require constant that is a terrible segue <laughs> i just suspect our guest always has the ability to concentrate because tony she has a phd from harvard in economics she's yeah. possibly the most decorated in high in in high education guest we've ever had uh she teaches she's a professor at brown university she's put out three books all of which have helped me immensely as a mom expecting better crib sheet and now her new one the family firm which i'm holding up to the camera youtube.com slash allison rosen uh it is and also she has been very prolific during this pandemic and uh helped eased a lot of people ease their mind, I think, about the, the specific risks, because w- this pandemic is just constant risk assessment. Uh, please put your hands together for someone I'm so delighted to bring onto the show, Emily Oster. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Am I right that you always have just endless concentration available? No, I think one of the, the the concentration went like the way of the dodo with my children, where like now I try to concentrate and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, did I remember to send them the snacks? Oh, did I like, did I remember? So I feel like my, I'm, I don't know, maybe when I was getting my PhD, I had the ability to concentrate, but it's gone. <laughs> so uh, your books offer specific parenting advice, I would say, but moreover, they, well, Tell me, tell me if you agree with this. Moreover, they offer a framework for how to make decisions. Yeah, I think that's how I would describe it, that it's it's sort of the the thing that I think of as different about my books than some of the other stuff that's out there is it's it's I'm trying hard not to say this is the way you should do it or do it like this, but rather trying to say, like, here are the choices and here's how you could make that decision. Right. um, For yourself. Yes. I'm going to backtrack and take out the part where I said they offer specific parenting advice because they don't, they don't really, I guess what I'm trying to say is like they work on a couple different levels because if you just want some information about this, you know, this specific choice that's in the books, but it sort of sets you up for how to make a series of decisions for each age that your kid is at. Um, So what I'm wondering is, do you look at people who make rash decisions and just think, what are you doing? 
No, I, I try not to. Um, I, you know, I feel like when I, um, it's funny. So when I wrote this, the second book, which is sort of about like the, the is about parenting and about parenting babies and so on. Uh, I feel like the process of writing that book made me a slightly less judgmental person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, partly because so much of what I was trying to convey there was like, hey, there's a lot of good ways to do this. And, you know, you could choose to breastfeed or not breastfeed. And like, those are both kind of reasonable choices and a lot of stuff in that space. And so I I kind of tried very hard to dial down both my judgmentalness and my more than that, my like advice giving instincts. Right. So you sort of said like your books are kind of like operate partially as advice part of my instinct when people are like, here's how I'm doing it is to be like, no, 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 do, do it a different way. And, and so I tr- actually really have tried over time to like do that, uh, to do that less. Um, but I will say sometimes people will describe things like, oh, you know, we're doing like, we're doing here are all the like millions of activities that we're doing at all times. And I want to be like, oh, maybe do less of them. <laughs> you said that's so tiring. But the the urge to go, no, 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 no. Is that based on the data that you've looked at or something internal? I think it's partly in, internal. I mean, so, so sometimes, you know, particularly when we start talking now, like a lot of my kids my the, my sort of parent friends have older kids and so there's a piece of it where sometimes people will be like here's all the things i'm doing and i will like put together that their kid must be going to bed really late and like i'm like a like a sort of like for myself like kind of a like a like a sleep sleep seller you know like i'm very into sleep <laughs> for my kids and so sometimes i want to be like uh your kids should sleep more um but the, and that's I'm sort of like trying, you know, it's like, OK, so there's a piece of that that's about the data. But some of it is just like, wow, that sounds so exhausting. And like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine doing it like that when it came to and I'm honing in on the decision making, um, not only because it's it's a big part of your books, but also because I myself struggle with decisions, as my listeners well know. It's weird with big things. That's not hard for me, but it's like the little sort of seemingly inconsequential stuff that I overthink a lot. Um, well, give me an example. Uh, I've gotten better, but I once, I, <laughs> but I once spent so long in a store trying to choose a notebook, trying to uh-huh. choose which color because it, it, I truly have gotten like these things don't uh, flummox me anymore. But at the time it was like, okay, I think I like this color better. And they're like, oh, but what if I got that color? What if I'm the kind of, I could be the kind of person who would have that. That would be like a exciting new, you know, element in my life. And I just, or like choosing an electric toothbrush. I remember that was very difficult. <laughs> things again, okay. they don't matter. Okay. Yeah. Because I like to explore all of the options. Um, you know, like when my husband and I are choosing a, this is something that hasn't come up in a long time, but back when we would be choosing a restaurant, sure, I would in the before times in the before times. Exactly. He, his process is think about what you feel like eating and then find a restaurant that has that. And my process is I want to look at all the available restaurants and think about the atmosphere and, and, and look at the menus and then choose. And to him, that is just, it's just going to take like, I don't, he's like, I don't want to spend that much time thinking about it. I'm like, I, I enjoy thinking about it like that. So, but so anyway, what has yeah. been your relationship to de- decision making? So I think, um, you know, I, I think I'm a 
pretty good decision maker. I mean, part, you know, partly like I, I think that one of the things we've tried to do really like a lot in our family is sort of separate like important decisions from not important decisions in terms of like how much energy we give them. And I think mm -hmm. my husband actually probably gives more attention to what I think are less important um, decisions or he like wants everything to be like sort of optimized um, in various in, in various ways where I think for small things, I'm sort of like, I'll just like do do whatever. Um, but and then we sort of try to put more attention on the decisions that are more um that are kind of that are that are bigger mm -hmm. um, but i think i probably err towards um, like oddly sort of spending not enough time sometimes on on decisions and then and then later being like oh, i probably should have done that differently like like what um you know I think so. I guess maybe the way I would say it is like I want thing. I want to be. I want to move on. Like mm -hmm. I don't. So so for like small decisions, that's fine. For a decision like I like I remember when I was trying to decide whether I should write a second book, which is of course like like a huge decision, which was going to shape and ended up actually shaping like a, you know my more or less my entire career and like the following you know now five years like indefinitely. And I, I was sort of like, okay, yeah, yeah, I want to do it. And I had sort of like worked and my husband was like, no, like we like, okay, maybe, but like, let's really like, let's actually really sit down and think about like, this is not, you know, this is a really big choice and here we have to really work through it. And I think that I kind of like, we got to the same place in the end. And I think sometimes I kind of want, I just like wanted to be there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part, you know, part of what part of what I like about him, I guess, part of what like makes it work is I think that that's, that's sort of right. Um, that was like the right thing there. And I think he's pretty good about like, let's just like slow it down a little bit. So what I'm hearing is you and my husband would be able to choose a restaurant together really fast. Yes. <laughs> that's what I think. Your, your husband and I would be like already eating and you and my husband would be like perusing yeah. <laughs> like, different food options. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what was the sausage roll disaster of 2020? Okay, so in my defense, it was I just want to emphasize that this was the day of the election. Okay? okay, so it was like a very high stress day. And I had decided to make a recipe for sausage rolls, um, which was like it involved like some puff pastry and they wrapped around some. So it was like a kind of elaborate thing. And I'm like a good cook, but like this was a lot. And I was also trying at the same time to do like a pretty high stakes work meeting while I was cooking this. And so I like cook them. And then one of the things that happened was like because I was like trying to be like on the Zoom and like take them out of the oven at the same time, I spilled a bunch of like sausage oil on the floor. But that was actually not the disaster. That was just like a thing that happened. But then nobody liked them. They were like not it was just like they were not good. Um, they were like they were OK, but they were sort of like kind of the texture was wrong. It was just like something that there was not good about them. And the whole and I got like having put all this time in and then being so stressed, I was like really upset <laughs> that nobody liked them. And then this is the part that was that, like, this is the bad thing is that then I like when people were like, you know, we just don't like them. I like picked up the pan and like, threw them in the sink. <laughs> and like, you know, in a, in a kind of, you know, not very mature reaction to the, to the experience. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was the sausage roll episode. <laughs> uh, would you describe yourself as hot-headed? No, actually, this was like, I think part of what made this notable was that it's actually a pretty unusual way. Like, I, it, it was not unusual in the sense that like, if I if I've sort of like put time into something that I am like sad if it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. But that was like a like the idea of like throwing things in the sink. That's like totally out of character, which <laughs> I think is why it made such an impression on my children. <laughs> so you um, your parents are both professors, right? 
Yes. What was that like growing up with uh, two professor parents? Um, you know, I mean, it was like I had like a very like I had a lovely childhood. I'm very close to my to my parents. Um, and I think the you know, the the probably the most important aspect of that is just that it like exposed me to the idea that this was a job that you could have, which I think, you know, not everybody sort of sees. Um, and so I think that that's probably the way in which it was most um, formative. Although I think also like a lot of this idea of sort of deliberateness around decision making, particularly that I write about in the new book, um, I think is 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 reflective of the way my parents, you know, parented or thought about decisions. And I don't know how much of that is just their economists or their professors or some other just like something else about personalities. Did you always want to go into academics? More or less, but not necessarily in economics. I mean, I think I've always been really, really interested in doing research, like even as a as a like a little kid. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that was a sort of like direction that I was that I was interested in in heading. Um, but I thought I would do like more of a I thought I would do hard sciences. Mm -hmm. Do you remember um, one of the first things you researched as a kid? Uh, yes, I remember, uh, I spent a lot of time in the eighth grade researching the, um, the, the Babylonian currency system, um, which is, a uh, same, say, um, it's on, it's like a, it's interesting. I mean, I don't, I can't, I mean, it's not that interesting, but it's like, it's like in, it's like in base 60, I think, or it's, it's not a base 10 mm -hmm. num number system. That's all I remember about that. And then in high school, I, I spent a long time researching canals, um, like the Farmington Canal and different things about canals and railroads for some project, which I remember being like, like wow, like that's like kind of, that was very fun. Mm -hmm. um, what about, if you, this is a very general question, but like, what about research appealed to you? Is it the is it the the process of finding information or like the actual accumulation of the information? It is the moment when you know something that other people don't. That's that is actually not a hard question. That is an easy question, and I was reminded of it this morning because I was doing something. I'm doing some stuff about like some research about COVID, not too surprising. And, um, and some new data came in and I had like a moment, like a sort of 20 minutes this morning to try to do it. And then there's like, and I, and I sort of made a graph that I was interested in the answer to like, and it was sort of, and then there's like that moment where like, you know, something and nobody else knows. It. Mm -hmm. And there's like, there's just like, that's, that's like so special. Um, and, and that is, that is the thing that, that is the, just by infinite leaps and bounds, the best, part and all the other parts where you're like, you know, trying to write it up and make the tables and convince other people, all that stuff is like fine. And I like parts of it, but that moment is really special. Where do you go? Um, actually, I'm going to, okay. Let's say the, the lay person is like, I want to be able to make decisions informed by data, but where would that person go to find that information? Kind of depends what kind of decisions you want to make. Let's say it's COVID. Well, COVID, just to 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 link it to something we're all dealing with, I have not necessarily felt like I want to 
go to the data, but I felt like I don't know what new, I don't know what sources to trust. Like, I wish I could just mm-hmm. go to like Dr. Fauci's blog or so. I don't even know if he has one. Maybe he does. So. He but, should have a Substack newsletter. Yes, that would be he like should. Amazing. You gotta get Dr. <laughs> Fauci on Substack. Yes. Or Patreon even. <laughs> Patreon, <for> um, anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's sort of twofold question. Where do you go when you're looking for data? And then where does the layperson go? So I think, you know, there are some pieces of data where that's easier. So like, what is the case rate? You know, what is the COVID case rate? What do hospitalizations look like? I go to the New York Times. Like Like, there are some sources like that. The thing that I think is much harder is like, let's say I wanted to know like, something that is a, that is sort of one step more complicated, like how common are breakthrough infections, right? Mm-hmm. So I was writing something about like how common are breakthrough infections, how does natural immunity compare to vaccination immunity? I think part of what's hard is that actually figuring out the answer to that requires reading many different pieces of, of data. Um, and so, you know, I, I, like, I like Fauci, I like, you know, Bob Walkner, but I basically am like looking for people who are sharing in some way research studies, and then I'm going to the research studies. Um, and so that that's a little bit harder for, like, that's a harder thing to convey to to a layperson, partly because sometimes when you go to those research studies, you're like, oh my gosh, this research study is so bad. Um, and sometimes it's like, okay, this is, this is better. So, you know, I think there are a few people, like there's a guy named Bob Walkner at UCSF, who is like a, like a very useful person to follow. So I think some of this is about sort of curating, mm-hmm. like who you are, like who you are listening to um, in the right. world. Yeah. So what um, ultimately drew you to economics? Um, so, you know, I, when I, I mean, I think one answer to that is like, I knew a lot about it because my parents were economists. And so it was a sort of like, I, I was probably more aware of the ideas of economics than, than others. But I think part of what I, what I like about it is the, um, the idea of sort of combining theory and data to answer questions and the, the idea that you could answer big questions, big policy questions using um, using evidence. Um, and I really like statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of my work is about methods and statistics and and sort of things like that, where I think economists um, have a, a good perspective that is that I like that I enjoy. How you're a professor of economics, right? True. So how much does <clears throat> what you're teaching in in your classes uh, relate to what you're publishing about? So it depends what you mean by what I'm publishing. About. Sorry, your <laughs> so, books and your Substack. what you're yeah, writing about, what I'm writing about. So so it, I think the ways in which they're they're sort of synergistic in the sense that most of what I teach um, is about and sort of what I do in my real job is about sort of how to think about evidence and how to think about what we learn from data. So I teach classes that are pretty much like, you know, read a bunch of papers and think about what's a good, you know, what's good data, what's not good data, how do we think about policy from this? Um, and that is a a big piece of what I of what I write about in, mm-hmm. in, you know, in my Substack and in, and in my books. And so I think that that's the sense in which it's similar. Then there's a sort of separate piece, which is like, what do I do my academic work on? And that also has some overlap there, but probably less so just because it is, it is sort of more in the weeds of like trying to develop new methods or trying to sort of say new things with data, which is, and, and for a more specialized audience. Mm-hmm. I have a, 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 a dumb feeling question, but, to me, and I was an English major and economics has always been something that I'm like, I don't, I don't mess with that. Uh, <laughs> but I think of economics as like financial systems. But right. what I'm 
getting is that it has so much to do with data sets and statistics and like, is that sometimes divorced from financial systems in economics? Yes. So so the sort of traditional kind of like lay view of economics, which is it's like the Fed, yeah. that is a part of economics, which like a sort of subfield that we call macroeconomics. Actually, most economists at this point, like the vast majority of the field is working in a space that's closer to where I am. So like microeconomics, applied microeconomics, where we're looking at data, using it to answer questions, which are mostly about policy and, you know, analyzing things like Medicare, food stamps or, you know, sort of thinking, using the tools of statistics and economics to answer those questions, but, um, but not thinking about the, the Fed. Right. I don't really know anything about the Fed, honestly. Um, well, I could, after the show, I'll, I'll fill you, you in. I'll explain. fill me in. Something <laughs> about the it. Jerome Powell. I heard about that guy. I don't know. Yeah. Inflation and- targeting. <laughs> important. Did you always want children? Yes. Did you always want children? Yes, I did. Um, I, I was actually just thinking about this recently. I, my parents felt that like having kids was, you know, one of the most important things that one can do. The, they didn't understand people who chose not to have children. I do, but they didn't understand mm-hmm. people who chose not to have children. They felt like those people were really missing out on one of the great experiences that you can have. And so I think I just soaked that up like a sponge and just, Mm -hmm. you know, I never thought, do I really agree with this? I just was raised to know that, of course, I'm going to have children. And I was thinking about that the other day because I was thinking that's one of those things that is like something that was sort of implanted in me from my parents. I didn't decide it on my own. That being said, I am really glad that I have kids. Um, I, it was the right decision for me and I did IVF and so it was a whole, a whole undertaking. You really thought it was not an accident. Ex- not at all. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's interesting. I mean, I, I think I feel like people are, um, like this is something that you either really want that you like feel in a way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and I think it, I also think you, in some ways you sort of feel it about the number of kids. So people ask me like, what's the optimal number of kids? What's it, you know, it's like, we don't really have like a data answer to that, but I think there's a huge piece of that, which is like, do you feel done? You know, do you like, do you feel like your family is complete? Right. Um, and I think that's the first, you know, there's a, um, an, another author that I've spent some time talking to named Diana Freitas, who's like written a really, actually really good book called The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano. Um, and she like sort of the, the premise of a lot of her stuff and of that, of that book is like, basically she's like, I did not want kids. Mm-hmm. Like I was sure I did not. It's not that I hate kids. I'm not like a kid. It's just like, I didn't, that is not something I wanted. And you know, that she, that her, her view is like, that's actually a really hard thing to say. Because people are like, oh, well, later you'll change your mind. You right. know, like sort of never our culture is so much never say never. Like, what if you, you know, later you want them? And it's like, no, actually, like, I don't want kids. Um, but I, I sort of had I, I was always I always wanted them. Um, and did you feel done after two? Yes, I did not feel done after one. And after two, I definitely felt same um, felt done. I have a four-year-old and I have two boys, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And it was just amazing to me how once the second one got here, I felt like, oh, now we're a family where I hadn't, I mean, I was so, you know, happy before. Actually, I don't know if I was happy all the time. That's a, (laughs) that's a, nobody's happy all the time. Right. That's putting real uh, rose colored glasses on it. But I mean, I was delighted to have my first son, but it, it, the feeling changed entirely. And then for a second, 
I I think when I realized I don't think I could have a third even if I wanted because it had be- become really hard to get embryos and we used all of our embryos. Um, and so it would have been like probably not possible to have a third for a second. I was like, oh, maybe I really do want one. But I think I really am happy to have I think two is the right number for me. Um, My therapist said something, which is people pretty much recreate their family, the family they grew up in. And that is kind of the case for me because I have a younger sister. Um, What about you? How many siblings do you have? There are three of us. Okay. Um, And so it's it's interesting because my, my, so I have, I am the oldest and then there's two boys. And so one of them has four kids. Um, They were going for three, but they got twins um on <laughs> they got twins on number four uh number three and four and then the other brother has um has two but i think he would like to recreate that like i think he wants three yeah um they would like to sort of recreate the the thing that we had but i think for us but my husband has two I so see. my husband has one sister so i think there's a little bit of but i don't know yeah i had exactly like when my when our son was born it was like okay like now we're now we're like we're a fa- like we're yeah. family um my daughter was my kids are four years apart so there was like we had like a long time with the big one and then and how did you decide on that number so we thought um I think that that for we had somehow decided two was two was like too few I don't Mm -hmm. I don't know why we I I I don't remember what the source of that was but I remember always thinking that and then we were thinking like we had sort of initially had some idea that we would have to try to have them three years apart and then that three years was kind of right in the middle of like a really like sort of chaotic time professionally where we were like thinking of moving and it did like a lot of stuff was going. It was just like, you know what, this is like not a good environment in which this is not a good time for us to also be like having a having a baby. And so then we uh, then we end, I don't know, in the end, like a year later, it was sort of better. And they're almost exactly like two weeks apart. Their birthdays are like two weeks apart. So we like almost hit it right on the nose. I was this, at the same conference. I found out I was pregnant with both kids. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mine are three weeks apart. Yeah. Um, two, two years and three weeks. So I had it in my sister and I are four years apart. Um, I had it in my head that two years was the perfect number, uh, the ideal space. Uh, and, you know, the, you can find people giving you all sorts of advice about yes. this, but it was like, there was, I remember a nurse that I liked at the the fertility clinic who's like, just make sure to do it by this point. Because if you, you know, if you don't do it by this age, then you're not going to want to, which at the time I was like, okay, but I don't think that's true. I, in fact, I could actually see a case where the first one is, is out of diapers and you kind of miss some of the baby stuff. Uh-huh. And I don't know, I could, you could go either way. But anyway, yeah, I just was like, okay, I guess two years is the perfect number. And then also for fertility reasons it made you know I was asking my doctor at the time like well when should I when should we try again and she's like well ideally you know this time I was like that sounds way too soon and so there were there were other variables but I have to say super grateful to have two healthy kids I do think two years is a great age difference but that people said to me like, oh, they'll be best friends. And they certainly are not best friends right now. <laughs> like they certainly are not as close as I think. I think they will become close. But right now there's more conflict than I think there would be if it, if I had like a four-year-old and a newborn. Yeah. I mean, I think I feel like that stuff is very hard 
to predict in is also like very dependent on the kid and exactly the age. And like, you know, so my kids, you know, took a long time to get to, to play with each other because they're four years apart. And so it was like a long, you know, like a six year old, two year old and that, but now they play together all the time, actually. Now they're like very, they're, I mean, I think partly the pandemic was kind of good for that because yeah. it was like they were alone. Um, and so they were only with each other. So it's, it's sort of, but, but the dynamic, you know, a 10 year old is pretty different from a six year old. Um, and so their dynamic is kind of, evolving but i don't know right. and then like how are you going to be as an adult you know yeah i'm pretty close to both my brothers including the one who like i hated as a kid so <laughs> oh which one is the is that the, the middle or one no the youngest one we actually pulled up all my mother for some reason saved all of our new year's resolutions <laughs> from children so the other day we were like we were like all together and we were like reading them and the youngest brother and i every year our resolutions are be nicer to the other ones like every single year and it's like you know they're, they're like and sometimes i'm like be nicer to john even though that's stupid <laughs> why did you dislike him do you remember i don't i don't, I don't actually have any particular memory of why this, you know, why this was actually very similar. Like, I really like him now. He's like a wonderful person. I love his wife. I love his kids. Like, I don't know. I have no idea, you know, what, um, we're like five years apart. Maybe there was mm. just some, you know, maybe I was, I mean, I'm so bossy. Like probably <laughs> I was like, just so bossy. <laughs> Are you bossy in your marriage? Um, probably, but I think, um, yeah, but I don't think like, yeah, I don't think that's the way my husband would describe me. What would he say? I don't know, actually. I mean, I just I don't I guess I just wouldn't pick bossy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I am like in charge of a lot of things, but I don't think that that's I don't I don't think it comes across as bossy. But I don't know. Maybe he would say bossy. Right. Um, one of the things that I love about the family firm, which, and I haven't filled out the worksheet yet. You've done the worksheets yet? No. Okay. And also, I love that you mentioned that in third grade, your teacher was like, she just loves workbooks. I love them. I love the workbooks. <laughs> but I love the idea of a family mission statement. Um, I actually wrote a personal mission statement for myself this year, which is something that I had never thought to do. But I had a guest on the show, Michael Buckley, and he talked about having made one for himself. And he read it. And I was like, oh, that's that's amazing. And then I kind of filed it away. And then one day I just wrote sort of a rough drafty kind of thing. And the the beginning of it is like, I want to live honestly and authentically um, and show people that it's okay to be human. And then something came up on the show where there was an interaction I'd had with a guest that got a little bit awkward. And I felt like it didn't reflect the best on me as an interviewer. And I wondered if I should cut it out. Tony knows I call. We mostly communicate by text, but this was one of our phone calls because we we went back and forth. Tony felt we should keep it in because he thought it was an interesting uh, exchange. And I just kept going back and forth because I'm like, I could just take it out. And then as far as the listeners know, it was like a super polished interview. Mm -hmm. But then I looked at my little mission statement and I'm like, if I'm really trying to show people that it's okay to make mistakes and to be human, then I leave it in. And I did leave it in. And the mission statement helped me. But I hadn't thought about making one for a family. Can you sort of explain that process? Yeah. So I think there's a, there's sort of some pieces of that. One is like the, the sort of mission statement. And then one is like a, a sort of subversion of that, which is like, what are your kind of main priorities or your main values? And I'd sort of put that all in the same bucket. And I think it, um, I, you know, I think for me, the reason those things are important is, is because they surface 
possible disagreements, mm. um, which is sort of a funny way to say it. So when I've talked to people about this, occasionally they'll, they'll somebody will be like, well, sure, writing down a family mission statement, you write it down, your priorities is great if you agree on them, but like, I'm not going to agree with my partner on these things. And I think like that's actually precisely why you, you know, why you need this, that basically if we are not aligned on what we're trying to accomplish or the things that are most important to us and we're trying to achieve something together, it is going to be difficult to achieve that because we are those disagreements are going to surface themselves in all of the little moments in sort of like hot state moments rather than, um, you know, it, like we're not going to avoid the conflict. Right. And so I think that a lot of the value of the mission statement is to be able to or all of these sort of pieces of it is to be able to say this is what you know, this is what's important to me. And this is, you know, and are those kind of, are we aligned on those things? Um, and that's part of why I sort of suggested some of these things you'd like to do separately, mm -hmm. right? Like write these down without the the kind of burden of having to agree while you write them down, write them down first, and then try to kind of come together. And, and you know, so we're all at least, and I also think there's some value in some ways to sort of like what you, what you were saying, like to say, we've written something down, now we can return to it. We say like, hey, are the choices we're making like aligned with this thing we said was important? um to us i so i i didn't write it down yet but i was thinking and one of my priorities <clears throat> is definitely sleep that's just Me the too. most important <laughs> it's just so, so important. important i wish it wasn't i wish but you get up at 5 a.m right that's true is that but i go to bed at 10 how, how 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 do you do this how do i go to bed at 10 or how do i get up at five both <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, I, like, I really like the mornings. Um, and, you know, we just like, I don't know. I like, I, we just have a thing where we go to like, like we just go to bed at 10. I don't mm -hmm. know. And then I really, um, I kind of find that like getting up at five, like kind of like, that's kind of enough sleep for me to like, you know, basically be okay. Like, right. You know, and like the normal level of adult tiredness, I think. Um, and I just really, there's like so much value to me in, in having that time in the morning that it's like, okay, that's like kind of my, like my time space to use in whatever way I like mm -hmm. want to use it. Have you always been a morning person? Yes. Even as like a, even as like a much younger person, like people will be like, we're going to go out at night. I'd be like, oh, it's like, guys, it's like 1115. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think we're going to, I don't get, let's just go to bed. <laughs> no. What were you like in college? um undergrad you know yeah like like me like maybe like pretty much like this um <laughs> you know i uh i lived with um so my my best friend still my best friend um was a like in, like a she's just wonderful but she also like she was like very cool you know she would like she was in this sorority and this thing which is like she's just like totally like cool and fun and smart and whatever and she would and she i was like the one who was like there when she got home you know what i mean mm -hmm. like i like i am not um i'm not a like person who goes this is like i did a lot of work like i did a lot of school <laughs> i like school work um and i met my husband sometime in college and i spent a lot of time with him mm-hmm uh, and he's also an economics professor, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. At Brown yeah. as well? At Brown. That's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. We've been like, it's been, yeah, we met when we were, we met when I was 20. And so. I love that. Now it's like more than half my life. That guy. I have become obsessed with Rhode Island. Uh, and it's because Arden Marine, guest on my podcast, grew up in Little Compton, uh, wrote a book about it. And has been taking these, I think, annual trips there. 
and bringing friends. And then all of a sudden my Instagram feed is just filled with, uh, idyllic Rhode Island pictures. And it really, I don't know what happened, but I'm like convinced that I have to move there. Do I have to move there? Yes. Okay. I moved to Rhode Island from Chicago and I have to say Rhode Island is the greatest. Um, it was particularly like amazing during the pandemic because like there was, there was nothing to do, but to be outside, you know, like there was just being outside. And so we just like, basically for like eight months or whatever, like, however, like we just like literally every weekend day we went hiking and we kind of never ran out of hikes in Rhode Island. Like we just like, like every, there's like, like, like everything is like incredibly beautiful and you just like go drive for like 20 minutes and then you're in some like incredible uh, outdoor setting. Rhode Island is just, it's just the best. Little Compton is so nice. Do you ever wish you were in a bigger city? Like, is there anything? No, you'd because give up? I'm boring, as I as I <laughs> previously mentioned. Um, but no, I mean, there there are things there are occasionally things which I think, you know, like when we were in Chicago, there's like there's like it's sort of like food and museums. Right. So like, you know, like the field music, like the things that we could take the kids to that, you know, like those are not um, we didn't the Natural History Museum in Rhode Island is definitely not like like the field museum um but you know we're not that far from new york and and then on the and then the food like i don't know Rhode actually has pretty good food for like providence has good food for a city its size but also i have two little kids so like we don't you know i don't get to go out that much sold i'm doing it yeah, you totally move here and like we go, little compton is so nice we, like go like farmer's market you know i mean to give you a sense of like what rhode island is like there is a there is a farm in Exeter, Rhode Island that we get food from and like we get it like delivered to our house once a week. Like, and the, the farmer is like our friend. Like she's like, we're like, Oh, can we come to the farm? Like bring the kids. So we like bring the kids. And then she's like, it is just like, it's like the most idyllic, like adorable state. I love it. Tony, have you been there? Yeah, but never, never extended time. You know, usually been to Newport. Everyone goes to Newport. Newport is fun think so well and then providence yeah right yeah tony you can visit me when i move there which i'm definitely doing Mm -hmm. yeah you were sold when she said there were so many hikes (laughs) i tried to block that part out oh yeah beaches there are also beaches what if what if you're like an indoor person who just loves looking at beautiful things (laughs) yeah i mean you know there's some mansions uh in newport love a a mansion you can go on them and the man besides you can learn to hike i love a mansion kids like to hike i love a lighthouse i love a boardwalk i love a pier and it looks i love cute house i mean it looks like there's all of that there we have all those things yes we have all those things also your kids could learn to hike they could yes yeah i could learn if yeah. that's what's required, for we got me to- my like, you know, we got my six year old like the we took him to New Hampshire the other day. We made him hike like a six, the six mile hike, a thousand feet elevation gain. Oh, my God. Over a mountain. You know, by the end, he was a little whiny. But like, that's that's what the pandemic did for us. <laughs> At the like- beginning, I would be whiny. By the end, <laughs> I'd be dead. But I still would try. I would try it. Um, listen, we need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do questions that people have sent in. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, BetterHelp will help assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. You guys know I am a huge believer in therapy. Um, I have a couple friends right now who are doing BetterHelp because 
during this past year and a half, a lot of people have felt like they would benefit from therapy. I know I certainly have. Um, and, and trying to find a therapist has been difficult for people because they have these huge wait lists. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. Um, you can start rapidly. They will get you to a therapist that is a good match for you. If the first person you're matched with, if you feel like, I don't know if this is the right person, um, you can change as many times as you want without an extra charge, which is great. So you don't have to feel like you're committing to something that is potentially overwhelming. That's how I know that when I started therapy, I was worried. What if I don't like my therapist? What if I'm committed? What if I, I don't know? I just ha- I, I just think it's normal to have all these thoughts when you're starting something new like therapy. Um, but believe me, I've been in therapy for a long time and I'm perfect. So you too can be perfect. I'm joking. It doesn't, it's not like that, but it'll definitely help you work through all sorts of things in your life. Um, I'm, uh, again, I cannot, I cannot recommend it highly enough. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today, and it's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. Visit BetterHelp.com slash best friend. That's better H-E-L-P. And join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for Allison Rosen listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash best friend. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash best friend. I also want to tell you guys about purple. Doesn't it seem like the world's against us from getting a good night's sleep this time of year? I know. I've got a couple things getting in the way of my good night's sleep. I've got a four-year-old who crawls into our bed. Although at first I was resisting it, but now I'm just like, fine. The more the merrier. Don't take that the wrong way, listeners. And then also I've got a husband who snores and a dog that snores. There's a lot of things trying to prevent me from getting a good night's sleep. However, Purple Mattress is here to, to, to solve all your bed problems. When you have a Purple Mattress, you can sleep cool and comfortable no matter what the world throws at you. That's because only Purple Mattresses have the grid. The grid is a unique ventilated design that allows air to flow through to help you sleep cool, even when it feels like a thousand degrees out. And the grid is amazingly supportive for your back and legs while cushioning your shoulders, neck, and hips no matter how you sleep. I have a little sample of the grid which um, my kids like to play with. And so it's not in the studio right now, but normally I, I would hold it up so you could see it. It's, uh, it's, it's, you can't stop touching it. It's just super, it's squishy in, in the perfect way. And you can see how it's ventilated. So you sleep cool. Try your Purple mattress risk-free with free shippings and returns. Financing is available too. Purple is comfort reinvented. Right now, you'll get 10% off any order of $200 or more. Go to purple.com slash bestfriend10 and use promo code bestfriend10. That's purple.com slash bestfriend10, promo code bestfriend10 for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Purple.com slash bestfriend10, promo code bestfriend10, terms apply. Okay, we're back. So I am on Patreon. Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. All sorts of fun stuff. Weekly bonus episodes of uh, The Friend Zone. Zoom parties. A level where you can text me and I'll text you back. Access to the Thursday show videos. This particular video will be on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Allison Rosen. Um, but people can submit questions for my guest. And we have some questions. 
When we ask they send them in They're wondering how you have been So thanks so much for answering These questions from our fans Okay Anna Q says, I love Emily Oster, 30 weeks pregnant, and I constantly refer to expecting better. I also enjoyed Crib Sheet. My son was two at the beginning of the pandemic and is now three and a half. The TV time has grown by a thousand percent, and I'm worried it is negatively affecting him. Tantrums have been huge, but it's hard to say if it's age, the effects of the pandemic, or frying his brain watching TV. Should I be worried, or should I just strive to survive with a toddler right now? I think mostly sur- strive to survive with a toddler. I mean, I think that that like the answer to that is in terms of the content. Um, I think we, you know, there there isn't a lot of evidence to suggest that you should that like the TV content itself is somehow going to impact behavior in those ways. Um, what I hear from that question is that this person would like to set more limits. Um, that like that they would in they would almost enjoy setting the limits is not what I mean, but like that like they they may feel that that would work better for mm-hmm. them. So I think rather than framing this as like, is there a right amount of TV? I think what I would frame it as is like, do I feel like it's getting in the way of other things I want my kid to do? And if it is, then I need to think about setting some limits. And if in fact, I'm like, she's perfectly happy. Like if Anna's book perfectly happy with the amount of TV and just feels like somehow she should feel shame, I would like take that away. Like you should not feel shame about this. Like this is, there's not a lot of evidence that screen time particular matters um, for any of these things. So I think it's really a question of like, is it, is it affecting, is it bothering you? Mm-hmm. In which case you probably want to generate some rules. But if it's not bothering you, let it go. Uh, Allison B says, yay, I'm reading her books too. I'm pregnant and the yay is yay that you're coming on my show. I'm pregnant and due February 1st and my brother's wedding is mid-April out of state. What would her risk assessment be for flying slash traveling from California to Arizona with an eight to 10 week old risk with COVID and also other risks? Involved. Okay. So first of all, let's not like it is not worthwhile to discuss the COVID risk in April of 2022. Now I have no idea, and so like I would put that aside. Okay. In terms of other risks, you know, I think in general we like that's kind of the edge of when you would want to start traveling, only because when it, very small infants are exposed to or like get any kind of illness, um, the like medical response is more extreme, just because we worry more about them getting sick, and so. Um, so I think, it, you know, it, it's you're kind of on the edge of of like where where like if it were four weeks, I think they would say no. If it's like 16 weeks, we're kind of like usually people would think that was OK. You're kind of on on the edge. You know, probably it's important enough. Um, you know, people would do that. But this is an example of a time when like some of it is just like, why did he schedule the the wedding then um but also uh you know you may you may have to go and just you know try to kind of keep the keep the baby on you i hadn't even thought about that what's he up to with that wedding my brother i'm my brother scheduled the youngest um, one Mm -hmm. his wedding when my daughter was six weeks old yeah pulling focus and uh and you know we i have gotten over it now that she's old enough to go to sleepaway camp but it wasn't it didn't you know yeah yeah probably didn't it wasn't no that great at the time it was okay. not good at the time oh here's a question it comes from allison rosen uh lately i have been thinking about how much should i be letting my kids work out conflict versus how much should i be intervening because i overheard my older one 
cry in this new way that he cries, which is like very dramatic. It's like keening almost is like, ah, ah, ah. and he was upset because he and Owen and the babysitter were playing with water and food coloring and he's having what he calls a science experience. I think he means to say science experiment, but he calls it science experience. <laughs> you can't, don't fix that. Yeah. Never fix that. <laughs> I, I won't. Um, but so I heard him wailing and I was like, oh no. Uh, and then I heard him say, Owen took my colors or something. And I was thinking he needs, now he's only four and a half, but something, it would be great for him in life. Uh, to understand that sometimes things happen that disappoint us and you just kind of got to like get through it. And I don't know if that's it, if he's not old enough to get that yet, but, but I started to think, have I been making things, have I given him the idea that you always get exactly what you want when you want it? Like, have I been making things too simple? And then yesterday when we were at the zoo, they both had churros and, um, Owen, the little one finished his and then wanted Elliot's and was kind of going over like cookie cookie and starting to go over to Elliot. And and I was saying like, no, honey, that's your brother's. You already finished yours. That's your brother's. But I was thinking like, should I have let Elliot explain, you know, should I have let them work out this Cain and Abel churro situation themselves? Yeah. I mean, I I don't think it's like a great database to answer to that. (laughs) You know, I think the, the, I, the, I will say the thing I sort of struggle with with my kids is like when particularly as they get older, it's much easier to ask my 10 year old, like, look, why are you making such a big deal about this? You know, like, can't you just like let him have whatever is the thing? Like, why are you, you know, like, how could this be so important to you? And I think that I have sort of pulled back a little bit on that with like, it's one thing to say, like, life does not always deliver the things you want. I am not going to buy you that, you know, you cannot have this dessert. You can't have candy at two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you know, like some of the times like there is a no. And there's a lot of value to being consistent about the things you say no to. But I think there's a difference between that and like, you know, you need to, as the older kid, like sort of like there needs to be disappointment to sacrifice for your sibling. Right. Right. So so I think that I think there's I would sort of separate those two things out. And I think that like learning the lesson of like you don't always get what you want is a good one learning it's like fine for your brother to take your colors um right because he's littler that's like not a lesson i think the question is like what is the lesson you want to you want him to learn see um it's that framing the question which is framing the question one of the one of the four f's one of the f's F's. (laughs) thank you uh okay luke chastain says my question should you prioritize saving for yourself so you don't become a burden on your kids and allow them to be free or should you prioritize saving for them so they can go to the school of their choice and have some money to jumpstart themselves and then he says, and I guess the B side of that previous question is, if universe, if University X costs $400,000 between schooling and housing o- over the course of their degree, should you discourage school? How do you judge the return on investment of education versus your child or yourself sitting in permanent debt? Oh, my God. It's a huge question. It's like yeah. a big question. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of good ways to save for for college. Um, I'm not, you know, I actually I don't think I have a good answer to this question. Um, you know, I think savings is savings. It's like, you know, I'm not sure we need to like your market for particular things. And also it's hard to predict, you know, certainly from the standpoint of having a younger kid, like what exactly are they going to want to do? Like when they get to that point, 
you know, are they going to want to go to college? Are they going to want to go to a, you know, to a college that is, um, that is expensive? What is the financial aid situation? This feels like something where it's pretty hard to make that decision mm-hmm. from the like immediate moment um, from like when they're younger. Well, I have a question for you as someone who is a professor. I feel like more and more, and maybe this argument was always, always there and I'm just hearing it more, but I hear people talk about how in this day and age, you know, you don't need to go to college and sort of uh, trash education or trash expensive education. Um, I went to a small liberal arts college in the same way I was raised to know that I wanted to have kids. I was raised to know that I was going to a small liberal arts college. Like it was just something that my family valued. Um, and I also value it. So I think my kids will value it. But what do you do with that argument of like, it's not important anymore. You can just go to a trade school. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is not borne out by the data. We have a lot of evidence suggesting that, you know, returns to college education are very, um, you know, are very, are very large in, in general. Um, you know, doesn't necessarily mean college is going to be for everyone, but I think in, in like the idea that, that kind of a college degree is, is not worth anything is not really, that is not really supported by the data. Uh, Whitney C says, what was her favorite class in school? Parentheses define school however you wish. Um, probably, um, I took this really, uh, amazing class, um, uh, in college, uh, on witchcraft, um, oh, wow. which, uh, was like in my senior year in college, it's just the class on, it was just like on witchcraft. It was in the, in the folklore and mythology department. That was the department that we had. Um, and, uh, and it, it, I ended up, you know, writing a paper about witchcraft, um, which was ended up getting published in an economics journal, which is like a whole other thing. But like, it was a, it was a sort of like totally, it was an example of a time when like I learned a lot of things that I wouldn't have otherwise known. And I got to kind of combine this one thing with this other thing I liked. So that was special. That's really cool. Um, okay. And then a uh, question from Mary Catherine Ham, who is the one who introduced yeah. you to when I was pregnant with my first son, she recommended expecting ah. better. And Fun. just one thing to, that I want to call out from that book. I thought it was so fascinating. Um, your point about, whether coffee is related to miscarriage and that maybe it's that the women who don't lose their aversion to coffee don't have as strong a pregnancy. I thought that was really interesting. Um, Okay. Uh, So Mary Catherine Ham says, uh, I'd love to hear about her experience with polarization and Twitter mobs, maybe advice. She's fought off at least two in the past year. I think both around kid-related, mask-related COVID stuff, but I know it takes a toll. And I really like to incentivize so much more of her kind of thinking in online environments. Does she have any thoughts on how to do that? I think Twitter has become just awful in the last i mean like you know there's a piece of it that's very useful like it's a good place to get information but the kind of discourse particularly around some of the COVID stuff has become so so polarized and so and it's not just polarized it's angry Mm -hmm. in a way that i think is really unproductive and and there's kind of so much personal kind of like personal animosity um and, you know, I've, I've struggled a little bit with, with sort of how to fix that. And also even the question of like how much to engage. Right. So I have like other ways to, um, to engage that are, you know, longer, mm-hmm. um, whereas it's easier to explain, uh, what you, you know, what you, you think. Um, and I think that is, 
I, I, yeah, I mean, I've like, I definitely have these moments where it's like, I gotta get, like, I gotta stop this. Like it's too, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of too much. Um, and it, and I worry it's not productive. Right. So there's like, there's a place for like legitimate sort of di like discussion and disagreement about some of these kind of facts. I think that's very, very reasonable. The, the sort of, you are trying to like, you know, kill other people. <laughs> it, part of this is like not helpful. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't, I'm not sure wh like where the path forward is. It's certainly gotten worse in the last 18 months. COVID-19 question. Um, I know a ton of vaccinated people who have gotten COVID. Sure. Um, and I have heard my mother-in-law's friend works in an ICU and she said, we need to change our thinking about this. It's not that we're trying, it's not about avoiding COVID anymore. Like eventually everyone's going to have it. It's just about being vaccinated so you don't get super sick. That being said, I myself really don't want to get it. I really don't want, to. it seems miserable. The people, the vaccinated people I know who have gotten it, some of them have just lost their sense of smell. And then some have been like, it's the sickest I've ever been in my life. Um, what is your thinking about that? About like, do you feel calm about being vaccinated, but also getting it? Yeah. I mean, I'm not calm is not the way I would put it, but I think, I think I, I you know, I think the reality, like I tend to like try to live in like where I think the reality, I think the reality is that, you know, people are going to get COVID um, like mild, maybe even like, you know, you know, the same way, like you're going to get some, for some people, it's going to be like a flu. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're going to feel sick. I think for most people, they're, they're not. Um, th this is the reality, like this is the reality, um, you know, because, and it's a reality because of the way that vaccines work. Um, you know, it's not like, so just like when you're vaccinated, initially you have antibodies, mm -hmm. like you get antibodies. And then if you're, if you're sort of immediately exposed to the infection and you have all these circulating antibodies, it kind of fights it off, but your antibodies wane over time, you know, over like a period of six to six, you know, six months or whatever, but that doesn't mean your immunity wanes. It's just that then your body has these like memory cells that remember how to make the antibodies. So if you're exposed again, it's got to like ramp up those memory cells to make the antibodies. That's the reason you don't get very sick, but you, you, there is some chance of getting, you know, somewhat sick. So it's sort of like working exactly like we think that it is going to, um, that it is, it is going to work, but that's just like the reality of where, of where we are. And so I think, we have made this so salient and it is scary. I'm like, but, but it also like, I think we have to, at some point realize that there are other costs as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, that like when you get COVID, then you, at least for some period of time, you'll be like more protected against it. Right. Um, Mary Catherine also says, I'm always curious about exactly how big a threat SIDS is when there aren't other risk factors involved. And I've never really nailed it down those risks are small for like a, for a sort of like for without other risk factors they are really, really small, um, really small, mm -hmm. like 0.06 in a thousand, 0.03 in a thousand. So I'm like pretty, looks very small. Okay. Um, let's take another super quick break and then come back with just me or everyone. I want to tell you guys about Rothy's. It's 2021 and nobody has time for uncomfortable shoes. That's where Rothy's comes in. Rothy's surveyed thousands of customers and the number one word used to describe their shoes is comfy. Rothy's are amazing. They're made out of recycled water bottles. And when I heard that, I thought, well, I don't want crunchy shoes, but they are super soft and yet sturdy and also stylish and they're machine washable. You can wear them 
I hope you're sitting down because this is a big, bold claim, and it's true. You can wear them straight out of the box without getting blisters. I don't think you can say that about any other shoe. Um, Our dog walker, Kathleen, wears Rothy's because they're the only shoe she can wear right out of the box. And she's on her feet, you guys. I think we've established that I am someone who likes to not be on my feet. But Kathleen is an actual active person. So what I'm saying is Rothy's work, whether you're sedentary or whether you're the walking all around town with dogs or without dogs, I picture like a high powered person on their way to an important meeting, cutting a crisp silhouette in their Rothy's. But I also picture someone who likes to sit around. That's me looking stylish in her Rothy's. There is an array of different silhouettes. I write, so I have uh, the point. I also have the flat. And just today, I made the decision I need to add the loafer to my life. So there you go. Their fan favorite styles are sustainably made with materials like plastic water bottles, fully machine washable, and available in tons of shapes, styles, and colors so you can always find the right one for you. And Rothy's newly launched men's shoes are intentionally designed with an artisanal level of detail and created with nearly zero waste. Rothy's men's shoes are durable, washable, and better for the planet. Plus, rigorous testing during R&D results in a perfect fit, wash after wash. Step up your summer wardrobe with washable, sustainable, stylish shoes and bags from Rothy's. Head to rothys.com slash Allison to find your new warm weather favorites today. That's Rothy's, R O T H Y S dot com slash Allison. And we're back. All right, let's do a just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right, Emily, do you have a just me or everyone? I do. So here it is. When I get up in the morning and I get ready, I put my pajamas back on before I eat breakfast so I don't get food on myself and then change my clothes later, even though I have otherwise gotten completely ready. That is not just you. You think not just me? I don't know because I do stuff like that, like putting on my, especially my bra, but putting on my clothes that I'm going to wear to leave the house or that I'm going to wear to the studio uh, is the it, very last thing I do. Like, I don't want, okay. for different reason than you, it sounds like, but I just don't want one extra minute in actual clothes. Oh, yeah, I do this even, is true, like the hard pants. Um, hard <laughs> pants are not, are, not, are not so good. But yeah, it's like, I think, I think I'm just always, even though my kids are big now, I think I like, I have like a holdover from when they were just like throw food at you, mm-hmm. um, which actually is really still true uh, now that I consider it a little <laughs> more carefully, actually, that still happens. So maybe it like makes a lot of sense. Yes. Okay. There was All a right. time when I was younger where I would put on my clothes and then put on makeup and do my hair. And now. Right. Yeah. Now it's like the like everything is done and then the clothes are last. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That is not just you. Okay. Tony, what about you? Your clothes and shoes are on the second you exit the shower, right? And Pretty then you much. do your hair or shave mm-hmm. or whatever you do. Yep. Yeah. So it's a weird life. It's because men have like more comfortable clothes. Yes. Yeah. Like my, I, we, we talked about this recently. My husband wears his jeans until he goes to bed. 
and he takes them oh, off for going God. to bed. I, I know. As soon as I get home, I'm like, ah, oh, get this stuff off me. Where's my little lemon pants? Same. Uh, okay. And then do you have a, uh, would you like to tell someone off? Or someone yeah. or something? Okay. I'd like to tell off the neighborhood skunk. <laughs> <laughs> when I run in the morning, he's always around. And I am constantly afraid that I will surprise him. And I will get sprayed. And like one of, for reasons I can't articulate, one of my big life fears is being sprayed by a skunk because I just, I feel like somehow I'll never get away from it. And so like I saw him this morning and he was like, there he was like in, in the gutter, he watching me. And I had to cross the street and start and walk very slowly. Don't like him. So, hey, skunk. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. Have you ever been near someone or something that got sprayed? Because I remember our family dog, Woofy, <laughs> got sprayed uh, when I was a kid. And the up-close smell of that is very different than, I mean, like, it's almost like a violently acrid. Yeah. My, uh, my, some, some skunks died in my friend's house. Oh, no. And they, they had to move out for like a month. Like they died under the house or something? Yeah, or they died under the house. Was, yeah. This is in Rhode Island? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Yes, that's true. But I, that's, I don't think that's, it's it. not really. <laughs> Hiking and skunks. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Now it's like I really, I've, I've saved the best for last. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Oster, also Emily, thank you awesome. so much <laughs> for thank coming you. on the show. This was so nice to talk to you. Um, I, I really... I really am like, I'm such a fan. So this has been such a treat to have you on the show. Um, Everyone go out and get the family firm. But is there anything you would like to tell people to look for, to subscribe to, to et cetera, plug Um, plug anything? I would say subscribe to my Substack parent data. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, If you guys like what you're hearing, please make sure you are subscribed to my podcast, subscribed or following or whatever the terminology is in your app of choice. Uh, Leave us a nice comment on Apple Podcasts. It helps out the show. And follow me on social media at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. Again, I'm on Patreon. I'm also on Cameo. And I have a book out called Tropical Attire and Courage and Other Phrases That Scare Me. Tony, what about you? Uh, just the usual Twitter and Instagram at Tony Thaxton and my podcast Bizarre Albums every Tuesday. All right. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you again. Listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. <laughs> 